last week we read through the entire first chapter of Titus, and uh, we we began we focused our attention on the theme. And what we're reading about is a church uh, on this island of Crete, and, and Titus is going there to teach them how to live for God. There was this culture in Crete of a bunch of liars and self-pleasing people. They were just doing whatever they wanted to do, but Titus was sent in there to let them know that Christians live differently. We don't go according to the same standard that the world goes by. There's a different way that God wants us to live, and the reason why is because he called us to be peculiar people. We are different because we're like him, and he is different. Uh, So uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus teaches us that the lifestyle of a Christian should reflect the doctrine the Christian belief. So we, we looked at first two words. There's this word doctrine. And when we hear doctrine, you, you should think Bible. The, doctrine is a word just means teaching. This is where we get our teaching from. Uh, we, we don't get our instruction from uh, the best seller list on Amazon. That's not where we get it from. We, we get it from right here in the Bible. This is the doctrine. And we, we look back to see what did Jesus say? And, and what did the apostles say that that Jesus left to do this ministry, what does the Bible say? And in Titus, he's going in to explain to these people that the doctrine uh, should be matching their lifestyle, and their lifestyle should match the doctrine, that people that are Christians are people of the Word, all right? This is like our defining characteristic. It's not that we just come to church, It's not that we just do Christian activities and good works in the community. It's that this book is defining of our lifestyle. Our lifestyle matches our doctrine. Uh, You could say that your walk should line up with the word, okay? If you want to think of it that way, does your walk line up with the word? I want to do a quick recap uh, from Titus 1 in case you missed it. So last week... One of the main things that was emphasized was that Titus was going into here, and the Bible says to set in order things that are wanting. And the first way he was going to do that was to uh, make sure there was leadership in the churches in Crete on that island. And the, the point was that churches must have biblical leadership. A church is a church how in a church is best when there are leaders that teach the Bible, okay? In these churches, he was told that there were people coming in, they used this uh, Bible word, subverting whole houses. They were going into these little house churches and teaching things that they wanted to teach so that they would get financial gain or people to follow them. And the, the thing that Paul was teaching Titus was, listen, sound doctrine, uh, biblical teaching, The teaching that Jesus taught is the most important foundation for these churches. And the solution to a problem when there were churches that weren't following sound doctrine, that people where the culture was influencing their lifestyle, the the solution was biblical leadership. And that he was to go in and find men that matched up with some very important qualifications. So we went through that last week. I would encourage you to go back and read through those qualifications when you have time and just Look at it as an example. These are Christian qualifications. If you're aspiring to lead others, these are qualifications that should be in your life. And then we saw also last week that absolute truth must guide our lifestyle. 
Listen, when you go into any culture, any city, any country, they have moral standards that change over, over the years. They have uh, acceptable morals that they kind of just shift. The, the point that is happening in Titus is that the, Cre- the Cretans, the, the people on this island, they were known as being liars. They were known as being self-serving people. That's what they were. If you live on this island, hey, that's the way we roll here. They had their own set of standards. Well, Titus was to go in, set in order things that are wanting, and he, he said, listen, you're serving a God that cannot lie, and you're representing a God that cannot lie in the midst of a people that are always liars. And so you should be different. The fact is that God has some moral standards that he sets up. He has some truth, some doctrine, some absolute truth that's true no matter what. And that's what should guide our lifestyle, that lifestyle and doctrine. And then the, uh, the other thing that was, I just want to recap from last week. See, lies and cultural morals uh, in this book of the Bible... Uh, back on this island, they were invading the church, okay? The same happens today. That was the point. What is out there, what is on the news, what is on social media is something we need to recognize compared to the Bible, and if it doesn't match up with the doctrine, then we don't follow it. It's unacceptable. Does that make sense? This is our guide. We don't accept some moral standard just because it's okay with one of my relatives or one of my friends, or, or something that seems to be okay. Why, why everyone else is accepting of this? Why shouldn't I be? It's because Christian people are followers of Christ. You're little Jesuses, little, little Christians, and you follow what he taught us. So this is so important. Uh, when I was uh, in college, I would come back to my church. I went to a, a small church up in Chippewa Lake, Ohio. Does anyone know where that is, Chippewa Lake? Ever heard of it? Uh, little little town uh, near Medina. And I, I remember going to that church and I would help out on Friday nights at this recovery program uh, called Reformers Unanimous. And every week there was this guy who would get on the TV screen. They'd play one of these videos uh, and he would teach a Bible principle. And there was, uh, there'd be this like music come up on the screen and he'd, he'd, uh, he'd teach for a little bit and they'd teach this principle. And there's one that stood out in my mind that I, that's really, I've, I've kept with me that is a great reminder, and it really is the summation of this, uh, this book of the Bible, Titus. And one of the principles was this, if God's against it, so am I. And Christians need to get to the point where they're not wondering, is my friend against it? Is my friend think this is acceptable? They need to be at the place where they look and say, is God against this? Because whatever God is against, whatever God is for, however this doctrine is teaching me, well, that's the way I'm going to go. And that's something we, we need to get back to. And this is really going to be the, the theme of chapter 2. And so like last week, I am going to read all of chapter 2, which is okay because it's like just a little paragraph in your Bible. So let's read together. If you look in Titus chapter 2, I'll read it out loud. Uh, you can follow along. Uh, and we'll enjoy this together. Titus 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, 
temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. That the aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This is a practical passage of Scripture, okay? There's going to be so much in here that's like, okay, I get it. This is teaching. This is, uh, so in chapter 2, Paul is kind of outlining, when you go to these islands, here's what you're going to do. You're going to address the old men, and here's some things you're going to teach them. You're going to address the older women. Here's some things you're going to teach them. And, here, and, and, and then it describes the, the younger men, the younger women. And then he ad- addresses those that are workers or servants uh, back in that time. But it applies in the same idea today. Those that uh, have another authority. Those that are under authority of, of a boss or an employer. And, and then he comes all the way down to verse 11 and just sums it all up in this charge, this encouragement that God's grace that saves us isn't a grace that allows us to continue in sin, but it's a grace that teaches us something. That we ought to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Basic summation. He says Christians should be different. He, Christians should be different. So let's look at it together. Titus chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to walk right through verse 1 through 15. And we'll talk about it and hopefully make some good application. So Titus 2, verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. This is the theme throughout the book. What is a preacher supposed to preach? When when Paul tells Titus, go into this place, what's the priority? Sound doctrine. What he's saying is, teach the truth. Teach the truth. This is what teachers do. They teach the truth. 
They don't teach tradition made up in meetings by men. They teach the truth. They go back and say, what does God's word say? Uh, they teach the truth. One of the values that we have put on our webpage as a priority, one of the things that we're like, we have to declare that this is the type of church we are. We put it this way, truth sharing. We believe the Bible has the power to transform lives, and it, the Bible, is our authority above culture, tradition, and opinions. See, we often will consult what other people have to say before we come back and say, what does God say about this? And our default, when you talk about default, what's your natural inclination as a believer? It's not to hear and get a consensus among men. It's to say, what does God have to say about the issue? If there's ever an argument about morals, if, uh, listen, Thanksgiving's about to come up here, right? Man, Thanksgiving can be tough sometimes. The conversations you have, the different ideas. We just get our ideas from what God's Word says, and we should be always going back to this. This is where we get our answers from. So he says, when you go in there, speak the things which become sound doctrine. Teach the truth. And then he goes into the older men. Older men, are you ready? This is your section right here. Uh, I am middle-aged man. He doesn't address middle-aged men. I don't know if I, if I can be categorized as young man anymore. Maybe. Dominic, what do you think? Soon to be old man. My hair is beginning to thin, you know. But he says to Titus, go in here and talk to the aged men. That's a very respectful way to put it. The aged men. So if, you, if this is applies to you, here's what, here's what was to be taught to these men. That they be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Let me explain. The word sober... He says, go in there and teach these men to be sober. That means vigilant or watchful, not giving the devil place in his life. He's saying Christian older men should have learned and should be taking steps to be watchful and vigilant. There should be a maturity about them when it comes to how they interact with sin. He says that they should be grave, that they should be grave. That just means serious. It just means they know what's important and they know when is the time to be serious. They, they know how life works here. They're, they're to be grave. It's serious. The word temperate, they're to be temperate. That means to be prudent or sober-minded, to have self-control, to be moderate in opinion and passion. What that means is if you are an older Christian man, it should not be your characteristic to be flying off the handle all the time. It should not be that you have a temper that's up and down and out of control all the time. Aged men are, were to be encouraged uh, to be temperate, self-control. Uh, and we're going to see here, he talks to the older men and the older women. Why? Because they have a responsibility to be an example for the younger men and the younger women. And I will speak in this message kind of as a younger man. We need examples. Younger men need examples. The teenagers need examples. Uh, the, the, the young uh, single guys in their 20s need godly examples. The 30-somethings like me, and I'm, I'm in the lower end. I'm only 34. I'm not an old 30 yet. You know, I'm not 35. I'm not there yet. I'm not almost a 40. I'm just really far away. 
We need examples. We need to know what it looks like to be self-controlled, moderate in our passions. And then he goes and says, sound in faith. Older believing men should be mature and reliable as a believer. That word sound has the idea of stability. They can be relied upon to, to be good judgment in their faith. They're mature, reliable as a believer. He says not only sound in faith, but he says sound in faith and in charity. Means they should be known by their love. They ought to love people. If you're an older, aged man, there ought to be some love about you. You shouldn't be grumpy old men, right? Uh, grumpy old men. That's a movie. If you haven't seen the movie, I don't know if you should watch the movie. It's been a long time. I was a teenager when I watched that movie. But the Bible says older men should be sound in charity, known by their love. What that means is they have learned to overcome wrath, resentment, and hatred. If you are older, I'm going to say over 40, and you've been a believer for any amount of time, there's no space that's in this living for God lifestyle where you can just harbor resentment and wrath and anger. You ought to be known to be a loving person. Sound in charity. And then he says sound in patience. Uh, A lot of time we think patience is just like dealing with tough people, and it is sometimes. This patience is more of a, this person has been constant through trials. Older older Christian men, they've maintained in their faith through difficult times. And there's something to be looked at. They can be looked at as an example of how to endure trials, how to continue through difficulty. So he says that, uh, teach the age of men to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And then he goes to the older women, the lovely older women, all right? We love you. And I'm going to say this because I want to be on everybody's good side. I, I, I like to do that. Uh, the older women, look at what he says about older women. Likewise, exhort them, right, to be, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. This first phrase, be in behavior as becometh holiness. Older women were to be exhorted to be holy women. Older women that are Christian believers should be known to have nothing in their life that is distasteful, sinful, or worldly. They have a lifestyle of holiness. They are set apart for God's purposes, right? This next part is so interesting. Uh, The word used here, it says, not false accusers. That word, false accusers, is basically in the Greek saying, not devils. No old lady devils allowed, you know. (laughs) The idea here is that not having a quality of Satan The quality of Satan is that Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He goes around, he speaks to us, and he speaks to others about us. And the idea is that he's a slanderer. He's constantly uh, talking about the sins that we have committed. That's Satan's job. That's what he does. So when it comes to older women, the the encouragement, Paul the apostle told this guy Titus, you got to go set something straight in Crete. And one of those things was talk to the older women that they don't be like Satan and, and constantly bring up the sins of others. What he's saying is women 
aged women should have learned by now to tame the tongue, to not have the quality of tail-bearing, of slandering, of gossip. And uh, that's important because sometimes we get extra time on our hands and things to do where we just talk about people. That's, that's, what he's saying is that's not a quality of Christ, that's a quality of Satan, not false accusers, not devils, right? Not to be uh, having qualities like Satan has. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, not given to much wine. The idea is this age of women, they're not controlled by substances. That should not be a quality uh, that they are known for. And then the, the Bible says, teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. Older women should bear the responsibility of teaching the younger women. And that's the point he's about to make here. And uh, I'm I'm thankful that we we have some ladies in the church, and they've actually been praying about this and and looking forward to this. And older women and and younger women are looking forward to the coming year to where there's some things in place here at Fellowship even to where the older women interact with with the younger women. And so pray about that uh, because this is a biblical teaching. Where, where do you learn to be a young woman? And, and we're going to learn here in verse 4. It says, what, what is the older women supposed to teach the younger women? Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So he, turned, take, he goes from the older men to the older women and now to the younger women. Older women, this is your responsibility to teach younger women. He says, teach them, number one, to be sober. This word sober comes up a lot, sober-minded. This sober, it comes up a lot in Titus. It means temperate or wise or self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, Okay. This is something that comes when you're following the Lord. To to be self-controlled. Older women teach the younger women that they ought to be able to control their passions in themselves. He goes on to say, to love their own husbands. Uh, That means to do for their husbands without thought of gain or return. To meet the needs of their husbands. To show affection for their husbands. To invest in their family relationship. He goes uh, on to say to love their own children. That means to show love and care for their kids. Uh, The idea is that Christianity, this following God, this following the doctrine, should turn mothers toward their families. And it ought to be taught from the older women. And... uh, we live in a society, and I know people, and I'm related to people, and there's uh, friends that I have that there are young women that just say, I don't have any desire to get married and have kids. And it's becoming more popular that, one, people don't want to get married, and that people just don't, the family, no, no, it's all about other things. There is something very natural and something biblical that a young woman would turn her attention toward her home. To be love, to love their husband, to love their children. And he goes on to say, to be discreet. That means, again, self control, a mind and a tongue that is under control. Discreet has the idea of being quiet. Now, uh, I'm going to be cautious what I say, young preacher up here, right? You're like, he's going to mess himself up right now. This is where it's going to happen. Listen, uh, there, there is a godly quality when it comes to male or female that we control our tongues. 
And it's just something you learn as you age, and it should be taught from those that are older to, to focus on your family, to focus on what you're doing, and to have self-control. Uh, he uses the quality to be chaste. That means to be pure in heart and pure in life. Uh, to be keepers at home. That means to be attentive to the needs of the household, to invest in domestic concerns. Uh, <laughs> let me explain. Younger women learn how to cook, clean, take care of a house, do the things that at-home mothers raising children do. They learn it from the older women. Amen. We got we to gotta get that, you know, we got to learn that. We, that's part of this role of this family. We talk about we're family. Well, what does family do? Family does this. The older women teach the younger women. Uh, and then he says uh, to teach them... Uh, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keep his own, to be good, having positive, wholesome qualities. If you see somebody, older women, and if you have a relationship with a younger Christian woman and these qualities aren't showing up, you have a responsibility to invest in them, to say, hey, have you considered maybe spending more time at home and focusing on your husband? How are things going? You are the, this is the problem with us as we age, and I feel this even as being a 30-something. I feel like I'm still a 20-something and just growing up. And so I can excuse myself and say, ah, I don't really have to step up and lead. That's what the older people do. But I've learned that even once you get into your 50s and 60s, you kind of feel the same way. Well, I'm just not qualified to do that. I just, that's like something somebody else does because you have people you look up to. Well, just consider you are equipped to do this because God is telling you this is what we do. This is what the aged women do is you teach the younger. And then he's going to say that the same responsibility uh, in the same way falls on the older men to teach the younger men. But I want to I bring your attention here uh, to a couple, a couple other scripture verses uh, in this section about the younger women. Uh, and it applies to the young men as well. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 22 Here's where he's getting this teaching from. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He said in Titus, to be obedient to their own husbands. That means to show respect to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You got to understand, his purpose was to come into a church that was so infiltrated by culture and explain to them, hold on, pull back the reins here. Y'all aren't doing this right. This is how it should be done biblically. This is how life should be lived. This is the lifestyle that matches the doctrine. This is the walk that matches the word. In Christian homes, wives reverence their husbands in the same way the church respects and reverence the Lord. And in a Christian home, husbands love their wives in the same way Christ loves the church. If there's any deviation from that, we got problems, okay? This is, this is what the scripture is telling us to do. And we, the older, need to acknowledge that First of all, set the example in that, and secondly, teach that to the younger. Now, I want to ask this question. He's addressing a whole bunch of behaviors, a lot of behaviors. 
We, we know it's not just about changing your behavior. It's about your behavior as an extension of your heart change and the Holy Spirit working through you. Amen. But why is our behavior important? Why should women be taught to be keepers at home? Maybe you never knew that was a biblical thing. It's here. Uh, I just read it to you. Why, why should wives respect their husbands? Why should older men grow up and live godly lives? Why, why should we uh, get rid of the wrath and the fighting and be of a sound mind? Why, why are we supposed to act in a certain way? To honor God. To honor God. Any other feedback? From the back row, anything? Set example for other godly believers. I want, you, I want to read you exactly the reason why, and you, all, you both were right on here. Uh, it's found right here in Titus chapter 2. He goes through this list about the old men, the, the older women, the young men, the, 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 the young women, and he says, here's why. That, verse 5, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The reason that they are to live differently than the culture is so that the word of God should not be, it's the word, vilified or spoken evil against. One uh, really smart person, commentator, said this. He says, the enemies of the gospel are quick-eyed to spy out imperfections in its professors. Meaning, if you're a Christian, people are watching you. And they're looking for a way to say, what you're telling me is just, it's not real. It's fake anyway. It says, if they find women professing Christianity, living an irregular life, they will not fail to decry the Christian doctrine on this account, saying, behold, your boasted religion. It professes to reform all things, and its professors are no better than others. Our heathenism is as good as your Christianity. These are cutting reproaches and uh, much they will have to answer for who give cause for these blasphemies. He says, listen, uh, Christians follow a different doctrine. They follow the Lord. They follow a different way of life. It's a different way altogether. We follow that way. Amen. Honestly, truthfully, genuinely. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Uh, I, I've heard it said, and this is something we've, we've said from the stage. I've said this in the past. Uh, you know, people make an excuse. I don't go to church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. hypocrites. And then we make this thing and we say, hey, come on in. We're all hypocrites. Join the, join the team. Well, the fact of the matter is, we are not supposed to be hypocrites. Amen. Okay? It's not just, it's, it may become a cultural thing to say, Ah, Christians are hypocrites too. Are we sinners? Yes, we're sinners. That we're saved, transformed, called to be saints. This is the whole purpose of Titus, to say that hypocrites are actors, they're pretenders, but Christians are true, Christians are real. Yes, we're sinners, but we are called to be saints. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, don't be ashamed to live righteously. Sometimes among Christian believers, we feel like, ah, I can't pray because they're not praying, or I can't worship because they're not worshiping, or I can't make this righteous decision for myself and make a, let everyone else know because they're not doing it. Well, the thing is, Christians live according to doctrine. They live righteously. 
And uh, we live that way, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Nobody should be able to say, well, I'm reading this thing in your doctrine that you believe, and it, does not, it is not something you do. Look at the way you're treating people. Uh, and, and so we need to pay attention to that. I'm going to explain that a little bit more. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 6 to the young men, uh, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. He doesn't have much to say to the young men besides, uh, that means self-control, uh, in, in, to encourage young men to gain mastery over their passions. Basically says, teach these young men, get control of themselves, right? Uh, and that's, that's the truth, to be sober-minded as a young person. And then he goes in, uh, verse number seven, in all things, Titus, showing yourself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. And then here's another that. Here's the reason why we're doing all this. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. He tells Titus, you're going to go in and teach all these things to these people, but you yourself should show yourself a pattern of good works. Meaning you ought to be an example. And the reason that Titus ought to be an example and the older men and the older women ought to be an example is because people do what they see. They don't just do what they hear. Uh, it's, it's not about just saying, hey, we believe this, we believe this. No, no. They'll know if you believe it, if you, if you live it, if it's part of your lifestyle. Does your lifestyle match up with the doctrine? Does your walk match up with God's word? Uh, he says to Titus, um, Set an example, and in your doctrine, in your teaching, show uncorruptness. Don't teach error. Make sure that what you're teaching it lines up with Scripture. He says, uh, let your doctrine have this gravity, doctrine showing gravity, which means honestly that he should uh, deliver his message in a way that commands respect. There's a weight to his message and sincerity, a genuineness. Uh, the Bible says, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So the thing is here, he's, as God's preacher, going to God's people, going into this area full of lies. He, he, they lived in a culture full of lies, full of lust, self-serving, full of perversion. And the thing is, Christianity is put to the test by reviewing the lifestyle of the ones who claim to follow Christ. People watch how you live, and how you live matters because you represent the message. You understand? When you leave here, you represent the Lord and His doctrine. That's the point. Your lifestyle should match up to the teaching of the Scripture. Uh, in John 13, th there's some uh, Scripture. Uh, Jesus says this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. That's why people, when they see a Christian that's cussing, hateful, spiteful, not forgiving their own family, they just say, forget that. If you live that way, I'm not going to go to church. Why would I go? They have a legitimate reason. Because your lifestyle is not one of love. Jesus is. That's not a legitimate reason for rejecting Jesus, but for rejecting what you have to offer. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says this, You have heard it that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love 
your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that which despitefully use you and persecute you. Meaning, when somebody does you wrong, Christians, followers of Christ, that's what that means, they don't just write them off. Ah, forget it. I'm not, they treat me bad, I'm going to treat them bad. I'm just going to mark them off. Forget those people. I don't want to deal with them anymore. We don't do that. We don't have the privilege just to write somebody off anymore. We don't do that. We love our enemies. Bless them that curse us. Well, why do we do that? Verse 45 says, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For what? For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Listen, culture, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? You, you treat me good, I'll treat you good. Christians, you treat me wrong, well, I'm going to treat you good anyway. I'm going to love you irregardless. That's what we do. That's, that's one of those qualities. That's where our lifestyle matches up with the doctrine. It says, um, and if you salute your brethren only, if you're only kind to the people that are nice to you and like you, what do you more than others? Do not even the publican so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Uh, we have qualities. This whole study titled Peculiar People, we're going to get to that passage. It means peculiar in the sense that you have qualities that are like God's qualities. That is why you're peculiar. You're different because He's different. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says, take, uh, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, the world is full of just setting their priorities on physical things. I got to meet my needs. I got to have this stuff. I got to do these things. Their, their concerns are with that. Our concerns are different because we're different. We seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and all those things will be added unto us. We are different because he is different. All right, I want to continue in Titus chapter 2, verse number 9. So he's talked to the old men, talked to the older women, talked to the young men, talked to the younger women, and now he's moving into this category of servants, or we can say workers. How many of you have a job? Raise your hand. I'm glad you have a job. Uh, we, we, we are not indentured servants. We are not slaves. Uh, it's this proven fact because everybody's quitting their jobs and going and doing something else these days, right? Uh, the, the great resignation. But the, the principle is true the same, that in this time, these servants, he was making a call to them that Christian servants, Christian workers, are different in their work than unbelieving workers, Okay? This culture was known, uh, the, the verse said that they were uh, always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, meaning they were self-serving. They just were comfortable, pleased themselves. Well, the same, I'm sure, was true about their workforce. But here's what was to be told to the Christian worker. Exhort, encourage servants to be obedient unto their own masters. And to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Let me explain. 
obedient unto their own masters means that Christian workers listen and follow instructions of their boss. That's not rocket science, is it? Uh, it's a lost art. If you, if you are out in the world, employees nowadays, they talk back. They, they, they don't follow instructions. They show up late for work. Um, obedient unto their own masters. Uh, and he goes on to say, um, and please them well in all things, not answering again. The idea is that you are trying to do what they're asking you to do. You, you work hard to fulfill the job and the task you've been given. And it says not answering again. That means don't talk back. Christians have control because the Holy Spirit has control of them. And we don't talk back. Uh, there's other passages of Scripture that talk about whatsoever we do. Do it unto the Lord. We do it for the glory of God. We do it as unto Christ. We serve Christ even when we're serving our boss that we may not like. That's how the Christian worker is to serve. There's this word I never have used it before besides reading this, not purloining. Try to use that one this week. Purloining is simply means not appropriating to themselves what belonged to their masters. Not to carry away for oneself. Uh, meaning you, you treat the master's things as they're theirs. You don't just take, you don't assume that you get to use company stuff. That's really what it meant, is the idea is this is theirs, it's not yours, treat it as if it's theirs. He says, um, but showing all good fidelity, that means you care for what is entrusted to you faithfully. If you're a Christian worker, and I feel like this is common sense, but I know that there was a day and time where I was, I just didn't, I uh, didn't live this way. I would goof off at work and play around. Uh, Christian workers understand that they have a job to do, they do their job, they don't talk back, and the Bible says that they uh, care for what is entrusted to them faithfully, meaning they tr if you're trusted to manage money, you manage it wisely for the company and for your boss. If you're trusted to manage your time or a workforce, then you, you do what is entrusted to you faithfully. Well, why in the world does God care about the work ethic of one of his followers? Here's another that. Here's a reason. He says it right here, end of verse 10. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. This word adorn, it's a nice word. It's, a, it's an old word which means to wear, to decorate. You adorn. I'm adorned in this... Uh, flowery shirt, you know. I like my flower. It's got a little flower pattern on it. It's, it's adorning me, right? Y'all are laughing at me. Adorn just means to wear. This Bible verse says that Christian workers adorn doctrine, the doctrine of God. You wear doctrine? I don't understand. I thought you teach doctrine. I thought you heard doctrine. I thought you studied doctrine. You can wear doctrine. It's what we've been talking about. On, in your lifestyle, in the way that you behave, the way that you interact with others, the way that you work, you wear the doctrine of God, our Savior. And the Bible says, in all things. When you leave this place, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go and interact with people, 
you got to realize that you should be wearing this doctrine, this teaching, these, these qualities. These are God's qualities, and you are God's people, and so we represent him, all right? Uh, does God's grace, is it, is it large enough to forgive us? Can his grace overcome sin? Yes, it can. But here's the point of Titus. And I want you to look in, in verse 11. And uh, we're making great time because I'm about to wrap it up, okay? And uh, we're going to go home in the dark. Uh, here we go. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Well, that's a great verse. We, we all love that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. doesn't matter what we do. God's grace is greater. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, right? That is a truth. We take it to the bank. God's grace is greater than your sin, right? He, you can't out-sin out God's grace. But here's the thing. God's grace is a teacher. It, 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 it's, it's changing you is what's happening here. And here's what God's grace is teaching us. God's grace that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that. This is a pretty intense verse. I just want you to pay attention to it. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here's the point. You are in this present world. You are alive today. You live in a world that is okay if you don't, if you're not married, if you just move in together. It's okay. It's okay if you don't believe what the Bible says about the value of a human life and you're okay with women's rights. It's okay, the world says. There's all of these things that the world is okay with. You, you lie to cover yourself or to make a sale or uh, to get more money back on your taxes. It's okay. We're here to get for ourselves. Hey, you know what? They wronged you. You should write them off. It's okay. The world has this culture, the present world. But God's grace is teaching us that if you're a Christian, you do this thing. It's called denying ungodliness. You say, that's uptight. That's just really harsh. Don't be ungodly. It is a quality of God's peculiar people to be godly, like God, holy, right? The, the Bible says, and uh, deny ungodliness and worldly lust. There are desires that this world says follow after. We don't follow after those desires, that is the quality of being a Christian. We, we uh, adorn this doctrine of God in our life, our Savior, in all things, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lives. We should live soberly, righteously. That's not a word we hear very much. We hear a lot, hey, it's okay, God forgives you, you're going to be just fine. No, no, no. God has sent this guy Titus into this city to talk to the Christians, to leave them an example, to teach them something that now we get as our example. Christians live righteously. You say, but I, I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. Listen, when we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You got to get your Bible out. You got to read this Bible. You got to let it get into you and you got to let it come out and you can live righteously. Will you sin? Yes, you're going to sin. Why? Because we have this flesh. It's here. It's on us. We, we can't get rid of it. But the thing is, God's grace, is it greater than all your sin? Absolutely it is. But it's going to be teaching you that as you're in this present world, 
under, with God's power and God's help, you will live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We're in the world, we're not of the world. Does it make sense? You all agree with me? Okay, good. It's a lot to think about. Verse 13, not only are we to, we're called out to be different, live differently. Verse 13 says we have a different focus, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to be, as Christians, one of the main things we ought to be focused on is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus coming back? We're looking forward to it. We're so distracted. I'll tell you, there are times where I can go a couple days, a few days, and not even think about that, looking forward to that, because we get distracted. This present world distracts us. We've got to have a proper focus. And then verse 14. Man, this is, this is a tough verse. This is the whole, if this is a theme verse that you should underline in Titus, this is the theme verse of Titus. Verse 14, who gave himself for us. Talking about Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. Why did Jesus give himself for you? He gave himself, why? Why? so I could be saved, so I could go to heaven when I die. So I could have peace with God. Those are all true things. But here's another reason why he gave himself for you. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. Means buy you back. We were lost in sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. And one of the reasons Jesus died for you is to take you out of your sin, not to leave you there. Redeem us from all iniquity and purify. That's like a progressive thing where you, you are dirty and he is purifying you. He's cleaning you up purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He says the reason Jesus died for us is he saw us in our sinfulness. And in this present world, he sees you. He, he, there you get this gospel message that can save you, this salvation that appeared to all men. But this salvation is there for a purpose. It's to redeem you out of that. You understand? That's the whole purpose of a church. It's an ecclesia. It's a called out assembly. We're called out of the world to be different than the world. That's the whole point of the church. We're not the same. We're different. We have a different set of doctrines, a different set of beliefs. And that belief should affect our lifestyle. It should affect our walk. It should affect what we do, how we act, how we talk, how we think. He says, God wants to redeem you from all iniquity. He wants to purify you unto himself. It's a, it's a, it's a word of jealousy. It's a word of, uh, he, he, he claims you as his possession because we are. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He calls us his peculiar people. The question is, as we go through and finish Titus, are we peculiar peculiar. That's a tough one sometimes. Peculiar. Do you have qualities that are different from the world because the qualities you have are special to God? Are you honest 
Because God's honest. Are you set apart? Because God is set apart. Do you have these qualities? Are you grave, temperate, sound in faith? Are you becoming holiness? Are you not a false accuser? Are you a gossip? Are you, not, are you given to much wine? Are you somebody that's controlled by substances? Or are you not? Are you teaching good things? Or are you not? The question is, God is, wants to call you out of the world to be peculiar. His people and I love this. Um, I shared this with our Go team because we have a specific team that is actually called the Good Works team. And their whole job is to like go out from here and do good deeds uh, in the community to represent God well. Because he says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because good works are a quality ascribed to God. God is good. And when God loves those that are unlovely, unlovely and God helps those that need help. And this says here, he called you out to be peculiar people, zealous of good works. We're just not kind of meh people. Christians aren't meant to be like, oh, if I'm here, I'm here. If I'm not, I'm not. If I'm, in, if I'm helping, if I'm serving, no big deal. God has called you out of sin, out of whatever the priorities of the culture is. And he says, you're called to be zealous for the things that I'm zealous about. You're called to have some, some gumption about you, some, some amount of energy that says, I'm, I'm done with that. I've got a new way to go. Does that make sense to you? It's not about just, I just go along with the flow and life has got me so busy. And I, yeah, I'm so concerned about the things that everyone else, all my neighbors are all about. Listen, we ought to be concerned with the things God is concerned about and be zealous of good works. And then he finishes the verse to Titus because I thought, I I don't know how old Titus was. Maybe he was 34. I don't know. I don't know how old he was. But this is kind of a tough thing to speak. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Uh, To go into this whole, he's supposed to go onto the whole island at all these house churches and like teach the older women and the older men I'd assume he, because he's calling them older women, older men, that he, that he Titus is younger than them. Uh, and, but he says this, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. He's encouraging Titus to say, listen, you're going to, into a place where, where what is to be said here isn't the most popular thing to be said. But when God makes a priority that his church is to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works, he sends in this leader to find other leaders to, to, to shake things up a bit and to say, listen, uh, we have a different way of living. Uh, our doctrine is what should adorn our lifestyle. Our walk ought to be something uh, that matches up with the word. And that's what the whole book is about. And I'm excited because next week we have chapter 3, and we'll get into that, uh, some more teaching there. But let's pray. Listen, uh, these scriptures say to deny ungodliness, live righteously in this present world. And I just want to encourage you. You may say, man, it is so hard. It is so difficult. I just want to tell you that if God is calling you to do it, that he'll make it possible for you. If if you live in a family that is caught up in anger and lies, and that's what you learned all growing up, you, as a believer, don't have this excuse to say, ah, that's just how I am. That's how my family is. No, your family is God's family, and he's different than that, and he's peculiar, and it is possible to live for God in this present world.